Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We commit ourselves this morning into thy hands, the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to you. We have come for life. We have come to identify through your living word the strongholds in our mind that needs to be demolished before we can truly, truly see and understand the kingdom better and better. Every block that is within us, which we may have carried with us for years together, but was never shown or never revealed because we were not ready or willing for it. Therefore, every day is a day of deliverance. Every day is a day of sanctification. Every day is a day of victory in Christ Jesus. For your word is a double-edged sword. It cuts through and through and through beyond anything that man can do. The division of the soul and the spirit. It reveals the hidden motives and the intents of the heart that even the man himself may not be aware of. Only you can do it, Lord, through your spirit. So we surrender ourselves first before the word comes. Cut us open and heal us. Remove everything in us. It doesn't matter how long we have held to an opinion, how much we have nursed it and loved it. If it is detestable in your sight, let it go from us today. Not one more day. Not like the Pharaoh said about the frogs. Tomorrow. No, Lord. Today. 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 Anything that is unacceptable, unclean in your sight, let it go today, Lord. Let it go today. Reveal it to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We've been looking at Elijah. And we've been, like I said here, in Persia, we've been stuck at that mountain for a long time. It's a good mountain to be stuck at. Mount Carmel does a lot of stuff. It reveals. It reveals. It opens up. It demolishes. It cleanses. It sanctifies. And then it gives us power to destroy the powers of darkness. So there we've been looking at the altar. It all begins with, at the end, in the evening, Elijah making a statement, come near me, come near me. And the people move towards Elijah. We have to take a move towards God. If we don't take a move towards God, that is First uh, Kings chapter 18.30, if I'm right. Yeah, come near me. Okay, He said, come near to me. Please understand this. You can move in the, in the body like next Sunday. You can move in your body to the church without having ever moved in your mind. Okay, So it is not talking primarily about a physical movement. If you turn with me to, if I'm right, uh, uh, Luke 15, verse 17 and 18. Luke 15, verse 17 and 18. When he came to himself. So you see he moved first in his mind. And in verse 18. He moves physically. I will arise and go to my father. The movement first takes place in the mind. In the mind, Unless we change our thinking. That's what repentance means. A, a received pattern of thinking concerning anything. 
And we hear something else which contradicts what has been accepted and has become the norm for us. And the word of God comes and it contradicts what we have received. We have to put it away and receive that. That is the first movement that takes place. He came to his senses. He came to his senses. And that's what's happening. Okay, That's, what, that's the first thing, first step of salvation. We come to our senses. Okay, so they moved towards Elijah. Okay, and then he said, come near me. They came, then he started repairing the altar. And we looked at an altar in in so many ways in detail, different kinds of altar. We didn't look at all the altars in the Bible, but we looked at the altar in Genesis 3. We looked at the altar in Genesis 8, that is Noah's. We looked at the, the two altars in Genesis 12. Then we came to the altar in Genesis 13 where he moved to Hebron. Then we looked at the altar in Moriah. We looked at the altar in Beersheba. Then we looked at Shechem. Okay, that is the first altar. And we will see where Jacob goes wrong. But when we come to the new covenant, these physical pictures are given in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the shadow. The substance is the new covenant. One is the shadow. The, the reality is found in Christ Jesus. So in the new covenant, it is the cross. That is the altar. Okay. Remember, there are two crosses. One is the cross of Jesus Christ, and then is the cross we are personally called to carry. Okay. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that brings salvation, not the cross you carry. If you haven't encountered Christ and his cross and carry your cross, you will only become self-righteous. You do not become righteous. Okay. At the cross of Jesus Christ, you become righteous. His righteousness is imputed on you. And then when you carry your cross, and then you learn to walk with him, you grow in that righteousness. Not in your self-righteousness. In the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith and faith alone. So we looked at it. The cross has two beams. And those who did not, I would request you, go back and listen to Tuesday and Thursday messages, because it will it will change the way you live. It will change the way you deal with God and deal with one another. Because the cross has two beams. The first beam, the vertical beam, is the important beam, not the horizontal. Horizontal is almost equally important, but the vertical one is what is important. And the vertical one is that Christ makes peace with God for us. Okay, peace. And what is the way? We looked at Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Three things are mentioned over there. Uncover, confess, and put away, forsake. Three things are mentioned. Uncover, confess, and forsake. The Holy Spirit will show in us. Okay, the first thing is that we repent of all sin. Not sin, sin. Christ saves us. And then Christ's Spirit will keep showing us as we progress. Because these things become blocks in the way. Blocks in the way. Okay, it becomes blocks in the way. So first thing, he uncovers. And when he uncovers, he's bringing something that is in the dark. Sometimes even for the very person himself, might be in the dark, brings it to the light. Once it's brought to the light, you have a choice. What will you do? Will you confess it? Now he's not showing to the whole world. He's only showing to your own conscience. Will you confess it? Acknowledge it. Okay, I remember during a season of fasting many years ago, many, many years ago, okay, it was, it was a spiritual uh, battle because you want to move 
another step ahead and you, un- you, you are realizing there is some block somewhere in the past. What is it? The Holy Spirit showed me, which I had never remembered in the, pre- the years of before that. This had happened to me when I was in class three or two or three. One of my schoolmates in Bhutan had died uh, in the river. He had drowned in the river. So his body was never found. So he drowned. Because it's being a Buddhist country and Buddhism is the religion. That week they had a prayer in the church with the lamas and all the chanting and everything. That's the way with everything going. The full day prayer and this thing and all going on. And I was part of it. I was ignorant. I didn't know. My dad was the principal and I had to be part of it. The Lord reminded me and you were part of something which was connected with the occult. With or without your knowledge, but you are part of it. Now confess it and forsake it. So they don't have any hold over you. Over old, over you. Okay, because when you are a child, you recite what they say too. Even now I know those things, how to say in their language. Okay, So you, you a part of that group, you recite that also. And the devil acknowledges it. Let me ask you a question. If like we talked about Sarah or Joanne or Abigail or Emmy, they're six years old, seven years old. If they say, Jesus, I love you, I want to serve you, does God take that child seriously? So a six-year-old child or a ten-year-old child speaks something to another God, does that God take you seriously? If this is good, right, that is also right, right? That is also right. So these are things which you are talking about. That doesn't mean you are unsaved. You are not saved. You are saved. But God is, as you are going forward, God is showing you blocks that are there in your past that impedes your progress. Impedes your progress. Okay? It's like you join any team. The coach doesn't show you all your faults in the first day. But as you go properly, if it is cricket, after you go further and further, he will tell you, this is the problem, your stance, your, 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 the way you are leaning, or you are swinging too fast. He will start showing you little by little. It's not on the first day he will tell you everything. You will be not be able to handle it. You will be so depressed and say, I'm, no, not, I'm not fit for cricket. You'll go back home. So God doesn't show everything the first day, or the first year, or the second year. He takes you through the process. He takes you through the process. That's what you are talking about. But the way it is, when he uncovers, we accept. We confess and we forsake. And the Bible says, the blood of Jesus cleanses of all unrighteousness. And don't walk under condemnation, because 1 John 2, 1 will say, if any man sins, okay, if you sin, we have an advocate. We don't have an accuser. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if any and if anyone sins, meaning that will happen, we have an advocate with Jesus, Jesus, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So go back, run back to the room of grace, room of mercy. You have a righteous advocate. He will intercede for you. He will speak on your behalf. He's not an accuser. The Holy Spirit is not an accuser. He convicts you, and Jesus pleads your case before the Father. Look at look at how they work together. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, and when you act according to the conviction, the Jesus works as the advocate, and the Father hears the case, and he says, not guilty, because the advocate has paid the price, which never happens. <laughs> advocate actually charges you. But here is the advocate who pays the price. Okay, that's the beauty of our advocate. So you look at that, that's the first thing. This is a continuous process where you get the vertical beam right. Okay, then there is...
the horizontal. And the horizontal is where people always again get tripped. Okay, remember we looked at Matthew 28, 18 and 19 about the altar. Sorry, 23, 18 and 19. It is not the, the gift. He who swears by the altar, it is nothing. But who swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. That's a Pharisee's doctrine. Jesus says, fools and blind, for which is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. So when you come to the altar, okay, you need to remember what sanctifies the person because we are offering ourselves as living sacrifice. It is not our offering that sanctifies us. It is the altar that sanctifies us. We are not automatically sanctified because we offered ourselves. The altar sanctifies us. So when we come to the altar, to that prayer closet, to that place we encounter God, God will show us stuff that is in us. We put it away. Then he will start dealing with the horizontal beam. And the horizontal beam is what we looked at, right? Matthew 11. Just quickly go over there and then we will move further. 11, 24, 25. Mark, mark, mark. Not Matthew, Mark 11, 24, 25. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Okay, you will have them. He says, pray with faith. And then he says, what is the block for many, many unanswered genuine needs? Genuine needs, not carnal needs. Genuine needs go unanswered. The reason is, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, how do you know you have anything against anyone? The Holy Spirit reminds you. Okay, prayer closet. Remember, it is the Holy Spirit. This Ephesians 2.18 will say, pray in the Holy Spirit. Jude 1.20 will say, build up in your Holy Spirit and pray in the Holy Spirit. Every other prayer is a carnal or a soulish prayer. It is the Holy Spirit prayer which is actually powerful. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is, when you stand praying, He will show whether we have offense against somebody. Whether we are an offended person. Did we get offended. Other person may not know. This is a case where the other person does not know at all. He or she has offended us. They do not know he or she has offended us. But what happens is we know they offended us. And we are holding resentment in our heart. It's like, like I said, it is like Ahitophel. You can be a perfect actor. For years together, David has absolutely no clue. This man has got murder in his heart. Yet he is close to him and serving the king with counsel. He's a trusted counselor and his counsel never goes wrong. He doesn't even err in his counsel because he's biding and waiting for his moment to take revenge. Okay, he's got something against. And does not mean Ahitophel never went to the temple. He probably went to the temple many times, offered sacrifices and all, but there is no conviction in his heart at all. The Holy Spirit is not able to speak to him. A lot of people go through religious process. Christianity becomes a religion. They never encounter God. They are not able to go ahead with God because they are holding something in their heart. And the problem is, after the, the devil is waiting for it. And you don't deal with it, the heart gets harder and harder and the demonic starts working. And Ahitophel never knew he had the spirit of death over him. The spirit of suicide over him. Saul did not know he had the spirit of suicide over him. He also committed suicide. And what is it? He was offended with David, though David did him no wrong. It's a misunderstanding. He was offended. 
Okay, so these are real things, real things why people trip and people go and they say, I'm giving up on faith, I'm giving on church, it doesn't work for me, but the problem may be inside you. And when the Holy Spirit shows those things, deal with it. So this is where the offense, somebody has offended you, you are not acknowledging it, you're pretending everything is okay, but it is a wound that is festering inside. Then we look at the other case, that is Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Again, the altar comes there. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, that is praise, worship, offertory, anything. If you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you. Now, this is not you having something against your brother. Your brother has something against This also the Holy Spirit reminds. You may not be aware or you may be aware. You may have neglected it or taken it lightly. Or the Holy Spirit says, do you know this person is upset with you and you are the reason. You are the, you did not intend it that way, but he or she has taken it that way. It can be intentional or unintentional. You know there are offerings for that in the Old Testament. Unintentional offerings are all sin. Okay, so this is all new covenant practice. Old Testament, you had to kill something, had to die, or something has to be given. But God says, what do you need to do? Leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Okay, he says, you don't have to stop giving, whatever it is, or stop praying, or stop praising. Just go and make reconciliation. So you need to understand what repairing the altar means in the new covenant. We repair our life at the cross. That the vertical and the horizontal are functioning properly. And then you know what? You are on the other side of the cross and you start hearing well. Now what you have to deal with is with your flesh. Now you pick up your cross. You pick up. So there are two crosses constantly working in your life. One is the cross of Jesus Christ and the other is your cross. The Christ. Jesus Christ, what has happened? You have been redeemed, you have been forgiven, and the world is crucified to you. You will not listen to the opinions of the world. No, you don't have to forgive. He deserves it. Die to that opinion. The world and its opinion dies at the cross of Jesus Christ. And you die to your self-will at your cross and start hearing from God and serving Him. Otherwise, what will happen? It's a life on earth totally wasted. There was so much God could have done through each person, but hardly anything gets done. Everybody sits in church with that disease worse than COVID-19, which is called pneumonia. That is the pneumonia you get from the pews. Just sit there, live there, and die there in the church. And there's no other way. That is the only, only way. So unforgiveness, real or perceived, Offense, okay. When you have, and one of the one of the way, like you no, know, now we have all these things set up over here. When somebody comes in, on next Sunday we shall see. When somebody comes in, what do we check first? Temperature. Temperature is only a symptom. Can be of anything, but it's a symptom, okay. And you need to realize when you are offended, okay. When you are offended, which leads to unforgiveness. Offense immediately doesn't need to unforgiveness. Offense becomes unforgiveness when you are not willing to deal with your offense. But offense, first symptom is anger. It's anger. That's why that's the first question asked outside the garden. Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Okay, first response. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26, 27. 
Okay, this is not the message. This is just recapping. So people will work on their personal lives during this season. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So how long should you hold uh, unforgiveness? Maximum till evening. Before evening, settle it. Don't take it to the next day. Don't take it to the next day. It's a, it's a prescription from the heavenly physician. It is not good to carry anger onto the next day. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, on your offense, whatever. Don't let your sun go down. Don't carry it over. Make peace with your brother. Make peace with God before the sun sets. You know, Jacob runs from his father's house without making peace with his brother. The brother is offended and angry and he hasn't made peace and he runs. And the Bible quotes, the sun set on him. The sun does not rise on him for 20 years spiritually. It's literally written there, the sun set on him. 20 years later, once God has encountered him, he is right with God. The sun rises. The next day you see he makes peace with his brother. He's right. He rises. The Bible is very, very clear about these things. Don't delay. These are, these are what you say the most important things in life. We have our priorities which is according to the world. It is not breakfast. It is not lunch. It is not dinner. It is not our job. None of these are on the priority list. There are certain things that are high up in God's priority list. That is peace with God and peace with man. Peace with man. And that's how God puts it. Right? Unforgiveness. 27. Let's read from 30 to 32 also. Then how do you walk? Then we'll go to 30. Yeah. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? Why? Because He's the one who will tell you. He's the one who will tell you. You are angry. You are upset. Your brother is upset. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And verse 31. Right? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Deal. These are all got to do with other people. This is how you deal. Because outwardly you can deal very nicely. But inwardly all these things could be there. And the Holy Spirit knows. Holy Spirit knows. And be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Jaise? Even as. Jaise? God in Christ, remember, I forgave your debts. Why didn't you, wicked fellow, why didn't you let go off? Okay, everywhere the comparison is there. How do you want to forgive your brother? Exactly the way God forgives you. Let go. No holes, nothing. Just let go. Let go. So these are important. Understand there are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. Even in math there are shortcuts. (laughs) There are math. I know there are shortcuts in math because I was a shortcut fellow in math. I didn't have the patience to learn the whole steps. Shortcuts were there. Okay. <clears throat> but with God, these matters, there are no shortcuts. Remember Saul of Tarsus. How he started. Okay. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he got letters to go to Damascus to Cass, right? Asked letters from him to to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were off the way, see, Christ 
was called the people of the way. It's a way to salvation, way to life. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he was so angry, zealous. These people are messing up Judaism. And God encounters him. Then he realized, my gosh, it is Christ. The way is true. This is the true way. I am on the wrong way. They are on the right way. And he's blind for three days. In three days, God is showing him, showing him where he has gone wrong with God. Showing him everything, where he has gone wrong with his brothers. Okay? But what you see in verse 10 to 15 is interesting. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise, go to the street, call straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. Now think for a, logically think for a minute. Why does God have to do it this way? He heard Saul pray. You know his prayer is genuine. And he could speak to him and says, You are healed. Arise and go. He did it deliberately to one representative of the set of people whom he has harmed to go there, lay hands on him as a sign that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Receive your sight. I have forgiven you. Now receive forgiveness from man too. You will be able to see clearly. You will be able to see clearly. You know when we have clarity of vision, when the cross works. Our vision is very, very clear. We are able to understand the ways, the purposes, the plans, the power, everything of God. And everything is clear. His eyes are open. He receives purpose. He receives power. And before you know, he steps forward with the same zeal and preaches Christ. He realizes Yahweh is Yeshua. And he preaches. Okay, That's what the Bible is talking about. So there stands Elijah on Mount Carmel. And we know Elijah will win that day. But remember, okay, now we are going, taking our turn. Okay. Every victory we learn from history, Bible history, biblical history, we win, it's just a temporary reprieve. Because the, when man fell, the world has already been set on the way to destruction. In between there are seasons where Israel gets a reprieve, the church gets a reprieve. But it is sliding. There's no reprieve that is permanent. The world is already set towards destruction. The prince of the world has already been judged. The fire is already ready. Jesus just wants to kindle it. Okay? Everything is ready. So every reprieve in history is temporary. Don't take the reprieve and say, oh, hallelujah, this is salvation. God knows. It's just a temporary phase. So even the reprieve Elijah brings is temporary. It will be sustained for a little while by Elisha. And after that, the nation will go. A king, a Hezekiah, a Josiah may arise. But none of these things will last. So don't get excited. Don't get excited. Samaria may have a time of peace for a season. After that, persecution will arise. During the time of Peace, what we are supposed to do is fortify our faith 
and not take it as the norm. No, that is not the norm. The world is hurtling towards destruction. That is where Jacob goes wrong. Jacob has peace with God at Peniel. He makes peace with God. God has set him free. Next chapter you will see he has peace with man. Right? Genesis 33, 4, Esau runs and falls upon. You see, when you have peace with God, God will also start working on your brother who's offended with you, who's angry with you. 20 years what he couldn't do in one day God did. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him and they wept. You have peace with God and peace with man. Jacob is fine. The problem is, we see he goes and settles down in Shechem. We think this is salvation. I am good. I am okay. You are okay. Okay. It's not the title of the psychology book, but that is the way Jacob is uh, behaving. Okay. I am okay. Peace with God. You are okay. Peace with my brother. This is the place to settle down. And he settles down in Shechem. And after that, what you know is, see the place of Shechem. Let's go there. Right. 33, 18 to 20. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padan, he pitched his tent before the city. But the problem is that city is not a good city. And not only that, he went and bought a parcel of land, which will become a graveyard later. The problem is, if you buy land in the wrong places, it will just become a trash heap. It will become a graveyard. Okay, That's not the place to build your life. You have to move like Abraham's father. Shechem is not. Shechem is where you had peace with God. But from there you have to move to Bethel, where you are in the house of God, where God can teach you his ways and his purpose, his plans, everything. But he doesn't go there. He settles down there. The guy who settles down outside Shechem and looks into Shechem is a man who is compromised. This is what the 20 years in Haran has done to him. He's still a man of double-minded. Okay, This is what happened with Lot too. Lot also lifted his eyes. He saw the plains, water, the valley of Jordan. And it is like Eden and Egypt. A double-minded man. Double-minded man. He sees Eden in Egypt and Egypt in Eden. Double-minded man. What does he do? He also pitches his tent towards Sodom. Just like that. This is a problem where you pitch your tent. When you are double-hearted, remember, you will never pitch, even though you have an experience with God, because you are double-minded and the flesh is stronger than the spirit, you will pitch your tents towards Babylon and not towards Jerusalem. Because everybody is making only two choices, either towards Jerusalem, spiritual Jerusalem, or Babylon. And these two guys, both Lot and Jacob, are still icer on Babylon. And Babylon will always take its price. Like we say in Shakespeare, pound of flesh. Take a pound of flesh. Babylon gives nothing free. Absolutely nothing. It will promise you the world and take your soul. So what you see is Dina is defiled. That the woman in the house. The only daughter he has. The girl is defiled. Because Lord pitched his tent towards Sodom, what happens to him? Both his daughters get defiled. Both his daughters get defiled. Because Jacob pitched his tent towards Shechem, what happens? His daughter gets defiled. The daughters of the woman signifies 
in spiritually the church. So the church gets defiled. When the pastor chooses to pitch his tent towards the world and preaches about the world and about the prosperity in the world, the church gets defiled. The pastor is supposed to pitch his tent towards Jerusalem and preach about Jerusalem. The church gets sanctified. Okay, so the daughters get defiled in both cases. Both cases. We never hear about Dina after that. And we know what Lord's daughters produced and Ammon and Moab. So we know, realize this all has spiritual implications. Every action has a spiritual implication. It will have repercussions, either evil or it will bring a harvest of righteousness. Because we don't realize we are sowing. We are sowing. So God comes to the rescue. And you know what happens? Not only on that. Look at uh, uh, Genesis uh, We don't have to go there. We know once Dina is raped, the sons go the father's way. They deceive the prince and the men of that city. And then Simeon and Levi goes and killed all the men. Look at that. Before Levi in history, the priesthood is upon his shoulders, has offered a single sacrifice to the living God. His hands are already dripping with blood. How the enemy sets you up. Your future, your destiny is already messed up before you have even started. Because Levi is going to be the priest of Israel. Out of him will come Moses and Aaron and all the Levitical priesthood. But how does he begin his ministry? With innocent blood. And that too through deception. That's how the, the devil sets you up. And where did all it come? Because the father was compromised. He didn't move to a place of stability. So God comes to his rescue. And in chapter 35 and verse 1, he says, move. Move. Okay. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. At least Jacob does that. So Lot also goes into captivity in Genesis 14. Remember? But he's rescued by Abraham. But he goes back to captivity. Back to he had, a, he had a second chance. He had a wonderful chance. He saw the actual effects of living in Sodom. He, his entire family was taken captive. Abraham fights for him, rescues him. But when he is given a choice, he goes back to Sodom. And God leaves him alone after that. You already seen, you already heard, you have seen your uncle's life, you have seen his testimony. He fought for you. He's brought deliverance into your life. And if you want to go back, it's you. That's what Peter would say. After having known the way of righteousness, if we go back to our old life, you're just like a dog that goes back to the vomit. You should not have never known the way of righteousness. Right? Way of righteousness. Jesus said on the day of judgment, he would have more mercy on Sodom. But Lot's family is not going to get any mercy because they had known the way of righteousness. Sodom had not known the way of righteousness. So if Lot and his family had not known the way of righteousness, in eternity probably would have found more mercy. Oh mercy. That's what the Bible is talking about. That's what the Bible is talking about. These things are fundamental. These are important in eternity. And like I said, we have a minds have to come back to things that are eternal. And we cannot live in the temporal. If you live in the temporal, after hearing all the word, keep on going back to the temporal. We are, we are setting ourselves up for this destruction. So Bible uses that term. If you are raised up with Christ Jesus, then think on things that are above. 
So why did these people fail? Why did the people bring so much destruction into their lives, into the homes? If you look in terms of pastors, into their churches. What was that sin? It was sin of compromise. They compromised. They looked at Egypt and saw Eden. They looked at Eden and saw Egypt. Right? They come to church and their ears are always waiting. What is it in for me? What is it in for me? And if the preacher doesn't tickle your ears, you go find a place where they will tickle your ears. And we don't understand the nature of the world. The world system looks so beautiful, glittering, everything, but it is built on a platform of ideas that will destroy your soul. The ideas behind it, you know, ideas behind it will destroy your soul. And we don't, we don't even realize how nice it looks, how beautiful it looks, and how innocent it looks, you know, like now of course. Now, of course, because of the pandemic lockdown, or otherwise, no, you see all these advertisements of eating out, new dishes, new place, discount. If you have a credit card and this is platinum, 10% discount for you. If it is gold, 20% discount for every offer under the sky. It looks so nice and the food is tasty, ambience is great, but it ultimately leads to the breaking down of the house. Because supper is the meal where you have fellowship fellowship. And your mother's food will always aim, I mean old mothers. Okay, not 21st century young ladies. Okay, it's aimed towards the health of your children and not the appreciation of your children. Appreciation. We grew up like that. My father looked at me and suddenly things which were distasteful disappeared in record time like Trump's warp speed. I come down from Bhutan to Kerala. Everything that is set in my grandfather's house, I don't like. I don't like any of those things. All malu stuff. I don't, and they're all very healthy, but I don't like it at all. So I'm sitting there fidgeting. And then the father looks at me. <coughs> <laughs> Disappeared. Okay. You look at it, it's such an innocent thing. But we do not rise behind all these, there are philosophies. Hotels and inns were always in history for travelers. For travelers. Travelers. Not people who live in homes. So you know what the enemy has done with this subtle ploy? He has made us all travelers. And the home does not exist. Even if you have a home, you are a traveler. You are a traveler. Subtle. That's why. And we do not realize, James chapter 4, verse 4, talks about the world very clearly. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and eat, okay? You take your wife, take your family once in a while, pick a decent place, not an expensive place. Pick a decent place which is not necessarily expensive and it is not fancy food, but healthy food. Okay, healthy See, if you know children, if you train them well in the beginning, they just want a good time. We are the ones who like eating, not they, unless we train them. I could take my kids to the same place every month once. 
And every month, leave it to them, they order the same things. Because I never gave them a second choice. And they would be so proud about it. No, I will order. I will order. I said, go ahead, order. And I knew what the order would be. After two months, three months, four months, the waiters also used to smile. They knew what the order was. We think food. They don't think food. But we make them to think food. The problem is. Okay. So, I'm not saying you shouldn't go out. But the reason you go out is different. To have a time together. Have a good time together. Outside the usual settings. The different settings. Okay. But remember, the world is... Do you not know? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. That is something which you need to understand. Am I in the ways I have received ideas in my mind an enemy of God? Think about the prodigal son when he was leaving. Thank you, daddy. Thank you so much. I never thought you were so kind. You would, I never thought you would give me my inheritance. Thank you, daddy. Thank you, mommy. And he's going. But he doesn't realize in his mind is he an enemy of his father. But the way he thinks is exactly against the way his father thinks. Outwardly, he doesn't realize. But inwardly, in his thought life, he's an enemy of God. And sometimes people do not realize. The ideas we have received makes us friends of the world. And friendship with the world, friendship with the world, is enmity with God. It's enmity with God. And that's why the first deliverance is in your mind. If you're delivered in your mind, deliverance in the body is much easier. Much, much, much easier. The deliverance in the mind, which is very difficult. To cast out a demon from the body is very easy. To break down received strongholds, it's so difficult. It is so difficult. We don't realize in the process what happens. We become enemies of God in our mind. Look at how the enemy sets you up. First Peter 5, 8. Familiar words. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Though he walks around like a roaring lion, he doesn't act like one. He acts more like the python. And python is also mentioned in the Bible. The girl who had the divining spirit is actually the python spirit. What does it do? What is, how does the python do? It coils around you slowly squeezes the air out of you. And then he will swallow you, even though you may be bigger than the python, little by little by little by little he swallows you. That's what the devil does. He uses the world, slowly takes your life away. One step, another step, another step, another step, and then he starts swallowing you. Where is it happening? It's in your mind. It's in your mind. Because it's spiritual, we are not aware. If it was physical, we are aware. But because it is spiritual, we are not aware. That is, we are being squeezed out of the image of God and being confirmed in the pattern of the world. That's what the Bible says. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not conform. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. But by the renewing of your mind. This is the battle. And we have to understand that Satan is, according to the word of God and Jesus Christ, the God of this world. 
He is no friend of the Christian. Satan, dear Christian, whoever is listening, is not your friend. It's, 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 it's on? Yeah? He is not your friend. Satan is not your friend. The world is not your friend. World is not your friend. We have to be consistently reminded and meditate upon the words of Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, verses 16 to 18. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. How are we not of the world? Just as Christ is not of the world. There's no other comparison. The the comparison makes the whole lot of difference. Jesus says, we are not of the world, just as he is not of the world. So separate them from the world. Sanctify them from the world. How? By your truth. Your word is the truth. That is why preachers cannot preach about the world. They have to preach against the world. Okay. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. We are sent into the world, but we are not of the world. We have to go into the world. Why? Because we got a purpose. That's why our prayer should be always, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Your name be hallowed. It is not that we are isolated from the world. We are sent into the world, but we are not of the world. In John 18 and verse 36, he makes it very clear to Pilate. Before him, who represents the king of this world, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. So we are in, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And you are waiting for the physical manifestation of that kingdom. And we are not of this world. That's what the first thing the salvation does. It takes you out of this world in your spirit. You are not in, of this world. Then if you go into the world, you go into the world as a witness of the kingdom and not as a friend of the world. And if you go as a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. You become an enemy of God. And that's what God is talking about. And this is the issue with you. Why is the church weak? How does the devil weaken the church? The devil is not attacking the world. because That's his place. He's attacking the church. How does he attack the church? By trying to get the world in ways, ideas, patterns, no? behavior. You see, after David, Solomon becomes king. For a season, Solomon did well. And it reaches its zenith, peak of glory. And then after that, Israel started going down. You know why? Because the king started receiving the world into his heart. Okay. He thought because he's so wise, he could dabble with worldly ideas. And it wouldn't harm him in his search for wisdom. This is the problem. We think we have come to a point now sin does not harm us. We are exempt. And Solomon went that way. And Israel's downfall began. Downfall began during Solomon's reign. It didn't begin after his death. During Solomon's reign, you will see Israel's downfall. So you learn from history. You learn from pattern. You learn. After the apostolic age, the church did not go up. It started coming down. It's coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down. Finally, they went to what we call dark ages. And in the dark ages, a priest called Martin Luther had to stand up. Again, it started going up. And then Darwin came in. Marx came in. Again, it went down. Because the church has to constantly, we will say the pulpit is not a place for politics. The pulpit is a place for politics. This is from where you confront the ideas of the world. What is politics? Ideologies. 
politics is based on ideas and ideologies. And we have been given something. We don't get into petty battles with each other. Goliath represents an ideology. The kingdom of God represents an ideology. And there your brothers are mocking you. You turn away. Don't waste time fighting with them. Because the cause is bigger than this. You don't have time to waste fighting with your brothers and trying to justify, no, I am not proud. I am not arrogant. I am humble. You don't have to prove it. Just don't waste your time over that. People pick up petty, petty issues in the church because they forget the bigger cause. The bigger cause is the kingdom of God. So that's what he says. He turns away from his brother earlier. He says, it's not the right cause. What is the cause? You're fighting for the wrong cause. The cause is the kingdom of God. And here there is Goliath standing up to devour the kingdom of God and I will not allow it to happen. So ideas are powerful. So Goliath versus David is a spiritual battle, meaning your size does not matter. The power of ideas matter. And what has been given to us is the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter who you are, from which culture you come. If you believe and you portray it, that idea will demolish every idea. You don't need a PhD. If you have good for you, like C.S. Lewis or Derek Prince and all that who came from Cambridge and Oxford, good for you if you turn towards Christ. Otherwise, bad for you. But you don't need that. You don't need any of those things. All the people Jesus used in the first century were unlearned men. But the power of their ideas dazzled the world. They had no answer. They had no answer to this. So please remember, we are dealing with ideas. And what happened is, after Solomon's reign, we know the kingdom split into two. One is Rehoboam, the other is Jeroboam. If you look at both of them, both of them led both Judah and Israel into further compromise. Further compromise. Okay, further compromise. And look at them, both their beginning. First Kings 12.1. This is Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam went to? Shechem. It begins from Shechem. For all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. He didn't go to Hebron. His grandfather was made king at Hebron. His father was made king at Jerusalem. Where did he go to become king? Shechem. It's from Shechem he starts. He starts from Shechem. And he will never recover. This guy will never recover. Okay, This guy will recover. Look at verse uh, 35. The other fellow who was given the other ten tribes. Jeroboam. 12.35, yeah. One second, one second. Yeah. I mean, whatever, they, you will see where he also starts. Yeah, 25. 25, not 35, 25. Jeroboam. Where did this fellow dude go? He also went to Shechem. And dwelt there. Did you see how these places have spiritual significance to teach us? Both guys began from there. And from there, they didn't progress further. From there, they fall apart. They don't move further. So God says, there are places, in, even in, in your spiritual walk, where there is safety. There is not safety in all places. Shechem is a place where your great-grandfather, the father of faith, encountered God first. But don't dwell there. There is no safety there. That is the edge of the kingdom of God. That is the edge. Don't stay at the edge. Don't stay at the edge. Move further. Move further. Otherwise, what will happen? You will be destroyed. You know what happened to this guy? You see from verse 26 to 30, how he brings compromise. 
This is Jeroboam. Jeroboam said in his heart. It all begins in the mind. Okay, it's all beginning. See, the thought process is, you don't fall in your action first. You fall in your mind first. You entertain, nurse that an idea. Then you acted it out. Nobody falls into sin. In an instant. You nursed an idea. If you don't nurse that idea, then when the temptation comes, you have the power to resist it. Joseph never nursed that idea. Nursed that idea in his mind. So when that day, he must have seen her. She must have flirting woman. But he never nursed that idea. He cut it off. He cut it off. So when it actually hit him, he just rejected it. Okay. Now he's nursing. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. Okay. It's contradictory to what God has told him. Okay, so there are two opinions. God has spoken something, that is the truth. Now you are nursing an idea which is put in there by the devil. And his downfall begins. You have two opposing ideas. Now you will exalt this idea which is against the revealed truth. That is how people fall away. The word of God is given, it is set, it is closed, and they will receive an idea which is contradictory to, and their fall begins. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of these people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. Then they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Okay, so now further step two. Therefore, the king asked for advice. Okay, so there are a lot of people, if you ask advice, you will give you very nice worldly advice. So you don't know whose advice was way. And he made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel. Which brought you up from the land of Egypt. What did they say? I'll make it convenient for you. That's what they use. What is the reason? They make worship convenient. Now next Sunday we are going. Because now there is no time limit. We didn't go earlier. The church was still there and 50 people could gather. But they said only one hour. Now if you went there, 500 people would have been willing to come for one hour. It was very convenient for people. Because I was a person like that before I came to the Lord. I, there were two Catholic churches in my in my in my town. One was a Syrian one, and that's where we used to go. But it was two hours, two and a half hours. The mat was quiet, kneeling down, and you're wearing shorts and all small. Then a boy used to her get up, kneel down, get up, kneel down, get up. Not interesting. And there was another one, the Roman Catholic one. That was only forty minutes. One day I asked my grandfather, "Can I go there?" He said, "Go." After that, life was easy. What a difference between 40 minutes to two and a half, three hours. And that too without a carpet. We all came through that, right? Doesn't your students and my students all? Sir, don't give all these lectures, sir. Just give us the answers. Every week, they when will the notes come? I said, notes will not. It will remain in my pocket itself. When will you give the notes? I said, no, that class. I said, then go to that class. <laughs> that, sir. I said, go to him. Go copy the notes. But don't write in my questions, those answers. I'm teaching you how to write the answers on your own. Be original. We want notes. Everybody wants convenience. So ultimately, we started naming our stores also convenience stores. The problem is convenience stores are still okay. What about convenient churches? What happens when the churches become places which is very convenient for you? That is what has happened in U.S. Seeker friendly. Yeah. What is the other word they use? 
seeker sensitive, seeker friend, and they will have great names, Elevation Church and Anneli, all kind of names they will give you. But the whole idea is to make them comfortable. I will always tell one this thing very carefully, not all of them. I'm not telling, all of them, I'm telling you, I'm telling you those who are listening, okay, young people listening. Not that it's a fixed rule in concrete. If you see a pastor on a Sunday from the pulpit dressed in casuals, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Because the attire reveals his heart. This is something very, very serious. Something very, very serious. Like we have this rule, don't distract, don't attract, be sober. Because the message from the pulpit is the most sober message that you will ever hear. Don't take it lightly. And don't put it across lightly. Put it across lightly. Just to the new kids. Not that every one of them may be, but usually have noticed their compromises. And you will not know if you are not learned in the... I mean, you have been worked on the word, you will not be able to discern the traps that is set over there. It's slowly they bring the standard down and down and down. Before that, anybody can get into the kingdom of God. Okay. So the Bible is very, very clear. What does he do? So he put up two calves, one in Bethel and the other he put in and done. And you know what? People fall for it. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as them. Jerusalem is forgotten. The temple is forgotten. Convenient worship has been brought in over there. And you will know. This is how compromise comes. This is how you receive ideas. Everything is made comfortable for you. What is that you want? They will give you uh, papers also with questions. Did you like today's worship? Was the sermon too long? Were you upset by anything? Please, we want your feedback. Why do you want your feedback? The pastor should go into the closet and ask God, are you pleased with me? That feedback, they are not interested. They are interested in the feedback from the people. They should go into the closet and say, Lord, can you give me the feedback? Then many of the churches would change and you wouldn't have the mess in their country. What you're seeing. The mess is not because of the people there. The mess is because of the churches that compromised. Everything is permissible in a so-called Christian nation. You know why? Because this was the sin of Jeroboam. This was the sin. How did he bring? He brought in compromise. Now look at the other fellow who's been given Judah and Jerusalem and the temple. First Kings chapter 14, verses 25, 24 onwards. Chapter 14, verses, uh, sorry, 25 onwards. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. What did he do? He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. Also, he took away all the gold shields which Solomon has made. What did he do? Egypt came and took away all the treasures from the house of God. Verse 27. The king Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Now, if you know about bronze and gold, they look alike outside. The color is the same. So, people will not know gold has gone. It is bronze. So, whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them and brought them back to us. The people have no clue the gold has disappeared, the treasure has disappeared because it has been replaced with what? 
That's exactly what happened in the 21st century church. True grace has been replaced with cheap grace and is sold across as gold. So both sides you will see what has happened in the 10 tribes of Israel because this is a picture of the church. What has happened? You made worship, word, life, everything very convenient. Very convenient for people. Everything. How many minutes do you want? You tell us, we'll do it for you. Tailor-made services we'll have for you. And this side, what did you do? They took the true things of God and replaced it with cheap imitations. Cheap imitations. The treasure is gone from the house and the people have no idea at all. And gold has been replaced with bronze. Yet worship is going on everywhere. What has not ceased? Worship has not ceased. And you look at the songs you hear today. It's bronze songs. Gold has been taken away from the lyrics. It is how to keep the person so happy. Not convicted. Happy. This is what happens when you stay at Sikkim. And as Israel was destroyed and went into captivity later, we see the same thing happening in history in the church. So learn from scripture. Pattern after pattern are established in the word of God. Learn from scripture. The stupidest thing people do is that they never learn from history. They just repeat it. They just repeat it. Okay, that's why Isaac is a smart guy. He didn't repeat his father's mistakes. He didn't go into Egypt. He didn't take a concubine. He waited double the number of years of his father and he had a son. But probably what his father was disciplined in, he became indisciplined. His father was probably very disciplined in his eating habits, but the son indulged. That was one thing was enough. That's why sometimes when we tell people get upset, but I'm saying this has got to do with your crown. The devil will always look for one point in your life that says stay hidden in Christ Jesus. In Greek mythology, it is called the Achilles heel. Achilles, when he was born, his mother took him, it's a myth, took him. And dipped him in the pool of invincibility. But when she did it, she did it with his heel. With his heel. So the heel alone did not get wet in the pool. So when the battle, the Trojan War is taking place, he cannot be killed. He is defeating everybody. And somebody told him, this is the secret. You want to kill him? Shoot him at his heel. And that's how he dies. So Achilles heel in English means a person's weak point. Nobody will see it, but the devil sees it. He knows this is the person's weak point. Therefore, you have to be double careful in those areas. This is my weakness. This is my weakness. And that's where Isaac did not guard himself. No, Moses did not guard himself. He should have known from his experience of 40, I got a short temper. I'll watch. I have a short fuse. I need to watch my temper. And you know, for 40 years, he was in the wilderness. Kept a handle on it. But in the next 40 years, he lost it once. But he lost it at the wrong time. At the wrong place. With the wrong person. Disqualified. And the devil was waiting. And people don't realize. 600 years of righteousness was lost. Because he planted a vineyard. Noah. 600 years of righteousness. Of fighting for this cause. Holding on when everything fell apart. And then you come through it. Right? You built an ark. You built an altar. Then you planted a vineyard. Then you got drunk. Gone. Cursed a generation. 
and that's your history. You lived for almost 900 years. For the next 300 years, there is nothing mentioned about you. You know, I, is he unsaved? No, they're all saved people. The problem is they goofed up at the end. And this is what compromise does. And the devil, if he cannot steal your salvation, will definitely give everything to steal your crown. Crown. Because he knows you are in a race. So please learn. Right? So how did Israel go into captivity? Simple. Very subtle. They tolerated the world around them. They just tolerated. That's all you need to do. Just compromise. Tolerate. There are a few kings in between who will come and there is a spate of revival which will last for a few years, 10 years, 20 years. Once they are gone, immediately default setting. Israel's default setting is no longer righteousness if default setting is unrighteousness. The righteous king dies, his son comes, he takes his father's phone and goes back to factory settings. Goes back to you. He resets the clock. He doesn't continue where his father left. It's very strange if you read the history of Israel and Judah. They never continue. So God will only have one reference point. He says, no one was like my son David. Who served me with all his heart. God also has this nostalgia. We have nostalgia. We say the good old days. And if God as a father has nostalgia and looks at all the kings of Israel and Judah as his sons, he says, you know what? I love the days of my son David. And we look at David's life and he says, what is there so much like about it? But God says, you know what? That man loved me. That man, even when he fell, when he came back, he came back with all his zeal. He's a guy who sought righteousness, who sought my face with all his heart. You know what? I love that guy. And I miss that guy. I miss that guy. So every king you will see, the reference point is, and where does the church fall? You learn from Israel's history, you learn from church history, what is it? It is compromise. We make compromises with the world system, their ideas, their ideologies. And compromise leads to tolerance of evil. What God calls evil, you start tolerating it. And without even realizing, in your mind, you have become God's enemy. Because friendship with the world, the world is not what you see. The world is the ideas behind it. It's not just what you see. It's the ideas behind it. And because you get very friendly with those ideas, because we have tolerated it, and what happens? The church slowly goes in the way of the world. There's an old Russian parable or story. A hunter with his rifle was going in the jungle. And he encounters a bear. And he was about to shoot the bear when the bear said, wait, 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 wait. Let's talk. What do you want? The hunter said, I want a fur coat. That's why I came to hunt for a bear. And the bear said, and the hunter then asked the bear, what do you want? He says, I want a full stomach. So the bear said, let's sit and talk. And after they finished talking, the bear got up and left. And both got what they wanted. The hunter got a fur coat and the bear got a full stomach. Now the hunter is inside the bear. So he's, co- he's got a fur coat. <laughs> and the bear got a full stomach. 
That's exactly what happened to the church. The church was supposed to go and destroy the powers of darkness and trample upon snakes and scorpions. So the devil came through the world and said, say, say, hang on, hang on, what do you want? Let's sit and talk. Nobody had the, the, the heart of Jehu. Not even had a conversation. Who's there? You know, throw her down. No conversation with the spirits of this world. Throw her down. Throw her down. No, we sat down and had a dialogue. Chai pe charcha. And we paid through our nose in Ivy League universities to receive those ideas. That's how the church was swallowed. And ultimately, what do you see? The state of the church. The church has no clue. If God does not come and encounter you, the church will have no clue at all. That has been swallowed by the bear. Not the Russian bear, but the bear. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 onwards. I know your works. Who says this? But what if Christ doesn't speak to a church? So this church, there is an encounter with the living God. He meets Paul, uh, John. John sends a letter to Ephesus. Sorry, Laodicea. I know your works. That you are neither called cold nor hot. Meaning, you are sitting between two opinions. You are a compromised person. Totally compromised church. I wish you were either cold or hot. On fire form, you are going to the world. And so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So, if God doesn't tell you that, you are not even realizes you are at the end of the line. You are about to be cast out from God's presence. He spoke to them. But what if he doesn't speak to a church? Okay? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with salt that you may see. They do not know, they cannot see, because they're looking at the degrees their pastor has. You know, Fuller, Trinity, whatever you want, every PhD, doctorate, DD, everything. I told you on experience I had many years ago, sitting with 50 priests and the bishop. And I was preaching from the gospel according to John. And I looked after some time, I realized they didn't know their scriptures. Because when I was mentioning scripture, they didn't know where to find in their Bibles. And they all had large congregations, including the bishop. Think about it. All these. They don't know they are naked. They don't know they are blind. And then what does God say? In verse 17, 17, 17. Yeah, 17. I missed 17. You say, <laughs> what do you say? I am rich. I have become wealthy. And I have need of nothing. That is the judgment of the church about itself. I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. But you don't know your Actual state. What is your actual state? You are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. And you are naked. Look at the, the, the complete two different viewpoints of how you look at yourself and how God looks at you. Why do you think you are rich? Because of the ideas you have received from the world. You think you are very tolerant. We are a very tolerant church. You see, people have so much trouble in life. So we don't want to trouble them when we come. We want to give them hope. You know who says that? The guy with the biggest church in America. Hope. I've been called to give people hope. You cannot give a false hope until you confront people with their sins. Elijah did not count on Mount Carmel to tell them, I don't want to trouble anyone of you. 
I know you had so much trouble with Baal. I just want to tell you how much God loves you, please. Come near me. Let us have a party. He didn't say any of those things. That's what he says. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. This is what happens at the end when you become a compromised person. You receive the ideas, ideas of the world. Every advertisement is an idea and it is a lie. Almost every news broadcast is a set of lies. Because only thing that matters to them is ratings. Because your ratings will decide your advertisement. And it's through advertisement your money comes. So if your ratings are very high and they hate what you say, still they will keep you. Like they will keep Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram. Because they are the three top rated. They speak the truth. They hate them. But if they leave them, Fox News, nobody will watch. Nobody will watch. Okay, You need to realize, everything is based on a lie. They will sell you anything for a rating. Okay, So there is nothing that is true anymore. Most of the advertisements you see, it's a lie. There's hardly any truth in it. Hardly any truth in it. The problem is not let the advertisement lie, let the newspaper lie, let the news channel lie. What happens if the pulpit lies? We, we are not worried about the world. Let them do what they have to do. That's their nature. That's their nature. What happens when the pulpit lies? That's the only place where there is power. That's the only place where life is supposed to come. It is from the preaching of the word, people have the knowledge to make choices that either lead to life and eternity or death and hell. You don't get it in the world. This is the only place from where every pulpit on a Sunday or other days, choices, people have get the information. That's why God tells the uh, priests of Israel, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. And he doesn't indict the people. He says, because you priests rejected knowledge, I will also reject you as my priests. You started preaching a seeker-friendly, feel-good gospel, you priests of Israel. And you know what? The people have gone into death and captivity because you did not give them the knowledge of God. You did not teach them the difference between the clean and the profane. You should have taught them all what your God is and what separation means, what righteousness means, what holiness means. Instead, you kept them happy because you are more worried, concerned about the offerings. The offerings. Oh, but the offerings, you are very, very zealous. You told them, it's not the altar that matters. It is the gift that matters. Doesn't matter. Bring the bigger gift, you're upsold. Doesn't matter. You fool and you blind. Didn't you understand? It is the altar that sanctifies the gift and not the gift, the altar. You messed up the altar of God where people should have been sanctified. They made the altar of God into the altar of Baal. Sent in your offerings. Sent in your offerings. Sent in your offerings. We will pray for you. We'll send a blessing. We'll send a kerchief. We'll sell this. We sell that. They became merchants of Babylon. And that's what God is talking about. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and the world. It is impossible. And don't even try it. Don't even teach your children that. Lord tried. He fell in the between. Jacob tried. And Dina got defiled. And Simeon and Levi had blood on their hands. 
before Levi, like I said, could make one sacrifice for the Lord in future, the original Levi, hands are already dripping with blood, of vengeance, of anger. This is the guy who's supposed to bring peace between God and peace between brothers. He's the one who will make all the peace offering. But what does he begin? His hands are dripping with blood of vengeance and anger and wrath. How the enemy set you up? You know why? Because you choose to live a compromised life. So when the world comes, you usually buckle under the You fall for the world. Okay? Let me tell you. It is interesting. I was just telling part of this to David. David is in my house and he knew it. He had heard about this. 1973 this happened. A man tried to rob a bank in Stockholm. But the police trapped him in there. He had four hostages for five days. The okay, fight was three men and a woman. He terrorized them. He fired many shots. He put nooses around their neck. He did all this, but he didn't harm them. Then finally, after five days, after so much negotiations, he surrendered. But the thing is that the way he dealt with the hostages, the hostages refused to be angry with him. They were actually more afraid of the cops than the fellow who took them hostage. They refused to testify against him. And one of the ladies, the lady, the lady that was there, it was either three ladies and one man or one man and three ladies, even got engaged to him. This is what they call the Stockholm Syndrome. That's where you get the term in psychology. Under stress, the hostage starts to transfer his hatred. Now, instead of hating the one who has captured him, he begins to hate the one who would rescue him. That's exactly what the devil has done to the church. Now, instead of hating the world that is holding you hostage, you start hating Christ who would rescue you and the preachers who preach the truth. You know what? The entire church in the world is going through a Stockholm Syndrome. They love the world. And they hate anybody who comes and preaches against the world and tries to move them from their comfortable, compromised life. And we don't realize that it's playing in history. This happened over and over again in history. In Beirut also, one of the hostage cases, that the same thing happened. They actually, the Muslims had taken, the radical, not Muslims, the radical jihadists, who also happened to be Muslims, uh, took this set of people captive and they were also harsh and kind, harsh and kind. Ultimately, they gave them an entire good feast and all. After that, the hostages were very sympathetic to the terrorist causes. Do you see all around the U.S. how the Christians are so sympathetic with the causes of the world? How sympathetic they are. Ultimately what happens? The world is the good guy and Christ becomes the bad guy. That's how the world will be prepared to receive the Antichrist who is the good guy. Good guy. And they will reject Christ who is the bad guy. That's why the people said, that's how the church began. 50 days before the church began, they said, crucify him. Release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. The cross on which Jesus was crucified was not made for him. It was made for Barabbas. 
It was actually made for Barabbas. But the people said, release Barabbas. Barabbas becomes the hero. Christ becomes the villain. You know the church is caught in the Stockholm Syndrome. Christ is a villain. The real Christ is a villain. If you preach the actual true Christ who redeems you and saves you from the world to the uttermost, people get upset. You mean to say that I need to leave all this? But it is so nice. What's wrong with this idea? What's wrong with this idea? I don't see anything wrong with this idea. I don't see anything wrong with this idea. That's what the devil does. Jesus came to rescue us from not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the world. The power of sin lies in the world. That's why the world will be burnt away one. The power of sin lies in two things. One in the world, the other in my flesh. That's where the power of sin. If I have to be saved from the power of sin, I have to die to the world. I cannot live for the world. and live to the world. I have to die to the world. Then only the power of sin over my life is broken. What does the devil do? He uses well qualified or very qualified preachers to teach compromise. Like Rehoboam and Jeroboam did. Either have two cause makes worship and religious Christianity very convenient or changes gold for bronze. Preach a cheap grace. Romans 11, 22 and all, they will never touch. Consider the kindness and the severity of God. Severity on those who fell away and kind toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Be cut off. They don't mention, they don't. How many meetings in these years, in how many countries, how many churches, when I showed people these verses, they had never seen. Neither the pastor nor the congregation. Never seen these verses. Never seen these verses. And one of the most astounding verses for every pastor I have met in the world was Psalm 138 verse 2. They said, we have never seen this verse. I said, read it again. Psalm 138 verse 2. I will worship towards your holy temple. Praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your I said, read it carefully. Some translations, it is wrong. He said, I have magnified your word and name. They changed it. Why? Because everybody uses his name. So they would prefer that translation. Because Jesus did not say word. He says, many will come to me on that day, said, Lord, Lord, in your name. Why were they counted unrighteous? Because they compromised on the word, though they had miracles in their ministry in his name. In his name. But it came to the word, they were compromisers. They used the miracles or the signs to attract crowds and then deceived them with the word, made them compromisers. And that's what the Bible is talking about. This is a deception. And one of the primary ways it happens, let me tell you, one of the primary ways, because we are speaking to a, these are things which I cannot teach in a regional language, because I don't even have the words to teach these things in a regional language. One of the ways this happens, look at John seventeen seventeen. We looked at it earlier, once again. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now I am speaking to you, 
So, that's how you perceive, understand at whatever level the truth. What am I using to put the truth across? It is called language. What is the word? It's language. Okay? The word of God is also put across in language. So, on the day of Pentecost, people from every part of the world had come and God did a miracle. Each one heard the truth in their own language. In their own language. That is why this entire 2,500 year history of trying to translate the word in their own language languages so people can hear read understand the truth in their own language so what does the devil do he uses language devil is the master of deception but to deceive he has to use language okay that's how if you look at how subtle he is in genesis chapter 3 it's a play of words in language did god tell you you go there it's, it's a play of language they heard, okay, no, 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 three, one, no. Okay, now the serpent. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree? Of, did God say any of that? Look at how he's using language. How, how subtle. If he were to say, it's, it's actually a yes and no answer. Did God say you should not eat from this tree? Should have said yes. But that's not what he asked. Did God, did God, you shall not eat of Every tree of the garden. He didn't say anything. He said, eat of every tree. You know, how you phrase a question. How you phrase a question. It's like those interviews which President Trump has and Joe Biden has. President Trump is fireball after fireball. How to set him up? Joe Biden, nice bat. How was breakfast today? You have, to, you have to look at the questions. Any dummy can answer, but still he needs a teleprompter to answer it. How the same media, which is supposed to be, and the people are not even able to see the game that is taking place. The lie and the deception that is taking place, right? Like, if it's a White House press briefing or White House, that girl, what is her name? I forgot. She's smart. Every price White House press secretary under him is better than the before. Okay? Her? Yeah, uh, young girl, no? And her and uh, President Trump. It is not White House press. It is White House oppressed. They are so hostile. They are so anti. They actually say, after the press conference is over, they are all nice people. But something happens to them when the conference is going. It's almost like demonic. They have been programmed to act in such a way towards him. Again, I'm using words which they understand. They are set off. They are triggered. And they are programmed to act this way. You know what they are all using? They are using language. And they will edit and cut and paste and put it on Twitter to set him up. It's all manipulation of language. You know who learned all this from where? The devil started this. This was the first Twitter message from the devil. <laughs> and Jack Morsi did not flag it. Okay. That's what his name, right? Yeah, I don't know. Everybody looks like him these days with that beard and the hairstyle. <laughs> okay. Did you see what's happening? It's a play of language. Language, like I, I told you, language is used deceptively. One is the, this, uh, language has been weapons in the hands of the enemy. One is what we call the tyranny of language. The other is the deception of language. Tyranny of language is that you use language has a force to oppress people. So whether it is uh, the Bible, which is available for centuries only in Latin, and the common people did not know Latin at all, 
Catholic Church translated in Latin. And only the priests knew Latin and the people did not know Latin. So nobody could read their Bible or understand their life. That's a tyranny of language. Um, um, the Quran is available only, was available only in Arabic and nobody knows how to read Arabic. Only a few set of people. And the Hindu Shastras were available only in Sanskrit and only the Brahmins could learn Sanskrit. This is called the tyranny of language to see the majority of the population does not have access to any religious truth. They don't search on themselves and understand Then we will lose their hold over them. That's what Martin Luther King did. One of the first things that he all started translating the Bible into the regional languages and the hold. And they took the Bible, they burned it in bulk, everything they did. Because they knew this was dangerous. So there is the tyranny of language and the other is the deception of language. So if you look Look very clearly, because if you tweak a little, you tweak a little, everything changes. So they will not talk about compromise. They will change the word compromise and make it mean something else, but it is the same thing. They will call it tolerance. When you, no, I look at, I look at Peter and say, Peter, you're a very compromising person. He will get offended. But if I mean the same thing and tell him, you know, Peter, you're very tolerant. He will feel so good. What is compromise? You are compromising with evil. What is tolerance? If you are tolerating evil, but I call you very tolerant. Okay. okay. Now, Pastor Vidya, let us say, stands up for truth. And I call him, you are very intolerant. Very intolerant. Okay. Very int- you see, this is how they play games. And people don't realize this is how they brand people, preachers, ideas and suddenly the church becomes very intolerant narrow-minded they start labeling you this is the deception of the language which began in the garden of eden god very deceptive did he say you shall not eat that's not he knows exactly what god said you wanted to be really honest you should have said did god say you should not eat from the tree and should have said yes (coughs) question over answer over but that doesn't work you have to trap them right so we call disobedience freedom. We call superstition faith. No, really. You look at many, many Christians. I got the promise for today. Hallelujah, Lord, I am believing. You know, that's superstition. That's not faith. Some guy in the TV whom you don't even know who it is, where is he from, suddenly you switch on and he prophesies over you, receive it and run. You know, that is not faith. That is superstition. And a lot of people are running on superstition. They have never sat before God. They have never prayed. They never have a discipline of reading the word of God or learning to hear from God. They pick up stuff and they run with it saying that I heard from the Lord. How did you hear? Where did you hear? Who spoke to you? When did If you ask the questions, you will realize there is no faith here at all. <laughs> Absolutely no altar, no faith at all. This is superstition. And you know what is passed as superstition in churches? It's passed as faith. And you call it superstition, they get offended. So this you have to say, oh, your faith is great. You know what you call lack of self-control? I'm relaxing. I'm relaxing. Isn't it? 
you, you will not, you have to, you, that's what I said. Uh, let's go to uh, Psalm 32 and we'll st- stop there, take a gap and come back. Okay, Psalm 32 verses 1 onwards. Okay. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Okay. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In whose spirit there is no, he's absolutely brutally honest with God. He doesn't play with words with God. That's what David doesn't play with God. He says, blessed is the man when he is actually coming to God and confessing his sins. He calls it as it is. He doesn't play with God. He doesn't use language with God. There's no deceit in him. He doesn't call lack of self-control as, I was just relaxing on my rooftop. You can't say, I was just relaxing. No, you are not. Your direction of duty should have been with your army up there in the battlefield. Lord, I was... I was, I didn't do what I was duty bound as their leader. I should have been in the battlefield. I should have gone and fought. Instead you call it, I was just relaxing when I fell. No, you are not relaxing. You had no self-control. No. No. We don't want to call it. No. We don't want to call it, as long as you don't address it by what you, it should be, you will not be set free from that stronghold of the enemy. So you have to call it, no? That's why people, Move from the prayer hall to the cinema hall without any guilt. Because what do you say? Oh, I had a long day. I need to relax. You go from here to here to relax or from the prayer hall to the mall? And everything you heard and the only anointing you received, everything is gone by the time you have reached that place and come out of that place. What do you always sanction it under? I am relaxing. This is the way I relax. Question is not, this is the way you relax. Is this the way God wants you to relax? God says, come to me, I will give you rest. No, I will go to the world where I find rest. See, this is all got to do with language. How we soothe our consciences with language. We call prayerlessness. Because it says pray without ceasing, right? As escaping legalism. Oh, they're very legalistic. They want you to pray all the time. But they didn't say God said. It's the way you stay. Away from this world. Away from the trap of the devil. The deception of the devil. Continuously keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Occupy your prayer closet. They call godlessness or ungodliness as liberation. Start making one excuse after. That's how you play with language. This is a Shechem effect. Whether you live under Rehoboam or Jeroboam, whether your pastor is Pastor Rehoboam or Pastor Jeroboam, you are doomed. You are doomed. One of the funny things you have to see is, look at the YouTube videos of these protesters. They're all from liberal universities and all. You have to look at those interviews some of these conservatives do with them. You, they will call them and say, okay, what are you protesting about? They will bring a litany of words which make no men's sense or meaning. So you will see a white man or a white woman hardly dressed pointing at a black police officer and says, you do not about systematic racism, whiteness. And this lady is white and the other one is black. And they have memorized everything, junk they have learned in the universities. It is language pouring out which makes no sense or meaning. 
you have to ask each one. I, it was very, I watched some of these videos, very funny. One whole set of protesters on this thing, and they call this, all four letter words again, Trump and all. So they finally they will ask, okay, what is that about Trump that you dislike? Uh, he did this. No, it's wrong. He didn't do that. He said this. No, wrong. He didn't say that. He did this. wrong. Why do you dislike him? Well, we just dislike him. We just hit him. But what did he do? What did he do? Now they are talking about, the funny part about it, they are talking about, oh, he has got 180,000 deaths in his hand. Really? Are you able, are you willing to bring out the real figures of how many actually died of COVID? Let me simply ask you a question. Okay, if Trump wasn't president, you were president, what would you have done differently? Just tell, give me the answer. What would you have done differently? No, we should make mask mandatory. Did Joe Biden say last week, actually to make mask federal mandate is unconstitutional? Did you agree? Yeah, you agree. So you want him to do it so that you would go after him for that. He shut down the country for 15 days, right? You tell me, what would you do differently? Just tell me. Two things, three things you would do differently. He listened to Fauci, he listened to Burks, he listened to every... We have to look at something and say, what would you do differently? What did your blue states do differently? That you can see. With governors, mayors have absolute power to do anything. Look at what they are doing in California. What did you do differently that you can say our method? But actually two-thirds plus deaths is in the blue states, not in the red states. But you can use language so deceptively. The problem is not with the others. The problem is with the Christians. The Christians buy that lie. The, la the way language is used. The way language is used. Because we are seeing it unfold before our eyes. All unfolding before eyes. How the devil uses language and language. And the problem is we buy into this language. Buy into this language. And then we wonder why we do not have money. Because every advertisement is selling. And we buy that. Okay, Even if we cannot go down, Amazon says, don't worry, pay it, we'll deliver it to your doorstep. And we will take all necessary precautions to see that you are not infected. But we will deliver it. And we buy it. And they use labels to destroy people. You're a homophobe. Really? I'm not a homophobe. Actually, I love homosexuals. I want to save them from the destruction they are going. When I look into my word, my God loves them. He died for them. And he says, everyone who practices that will go into darkness. I love them. That's why I preach the truth to them. I don't hate them. If you hate them, I'll hide the truth from them. Let them go. Imagine there is a pit over here and it is covered nicely by Sammy in the rug because he wants Peter to fall. And if I also am upset with Peter, I will say, Peter, come here, Peter, Peter, come here, come here, come here, Peter, I will call so that he will fall. But on the other hand, if I love Peter, I will say, Peter, stop, Peter, stop it. You have no clue where you are going. Don't do it. Don't do it. But what do they do? They label you. And the labeling is very deceptive. Very, very deceptive. They call you Islamophobe. Hmm? 
look at that. Oh, Trump is Islamophobic. Really? That guy did something which nobody could do for 50, 60 years. He brought peace between UAE and Israel. Now Bahrain and Israel. Now Kosovo, Serbia's war that has been going on, everything. He's brought them onto the negotiating table. And now because he has been nominated now not once, twice for the Nobel Peace Prize, Atlantic Magazine, who did a hit piece on him, says Nobel Prize should be discarded for peace. Obama, before he actually sat in the chair in the Oval Office, was given a Nobel Prize. Till today, he doesn't know what he got it for. <laughs> Do you realize in three and a half years, he has stopped almost every war in the world? Almost every major war in the world has ceased. Every war in the world has ceased. Okay. Korea was, North Korea was simply shooting, shooting. That also stopped. We don't know what this guy tells them when he meets personally. I'll tell you what he told Bukhari, the Nigerian president. He actually testified. He says, I won't tell you my response, but this is what he told. One-on-one with President Trump, he no aids, nothing. He looked straight in my eye and said, why are you killing the Christians in your country? Straight away looked into my eye and asked me this question. Why are you killing the Christians in your country? And he said it. It's there in the news. He said it. This is what Trump told me when I met him one-on-one in the White House. We don't know what he told Kim Jong-sung too. He would have told him, calm down, man. I'll, I'll, I'll wipe you out. I'll wipe you out. And I mean it. Just calm down. Shoot a few bullets here and there once in a while. But don't try anything. I can take you out. Like I took, did with ISIS was a peace. Like I wiped ISIS out, I will wipe you out too. And everybody calms down. They don't like him because he speaks bluntly. He won't mollycoddle people. You know? Okay, I'm not saying everything that he's saying, he should say it that way. He shouldn't say it that way. Okay, he needs to tone down here and there. But you know, once you put a label and you actually look at it, he's not an Islamophobe. He's not an Islamophobe. Has actually, he's brought so much peace into the Middle East. Middle East. You go to any country in the world, Check with moderates in any country. They love Trump. You have to look at his YouTube things. This thing from every nation under the sky. They are saying, President Trump, we are praying for you. We are praying for you. You know what? American Christians haven't seen. Christians around the world, their eyes are open. This man is for us. We are praying for you. Now, why is America blinded? It's deception of the language. Deception of the language. Why I'm saying it, this is all playing out before our eyes. And they will put labels, racist. Hmm? He's not a racist. He's not a racist. He's not a racist at all. Once you put a label and you keep on repeating, 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 repeating. You know, this is how, the problem is, this is what the devil does with the church. He just... A symbol over there. But to the church, this is what he does. He has every true, conservative, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church has been pushed against the wall by labeling it. Ultimately, preaching of the gospel will be made hate speech. Isaiah 5 and verse 20, if I'm right. I must have got it. Either Isaiah 5, 15 or 50, I don't know. I think it's 520. 
woe to them. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Just, just think about it. How does these things happen in a society? Like I said, the, the city on the hill is US. Right? Think, think. You have to, honestly, people have to think. How did Berkeley, the birthplace of free speech, end up banning free speech? Free speech, the movement was started in Berkeley. And that Berkeley has banned free speech. Because it doesn't fit in with your narrative. How did ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, justify evil has liberty? Justify banning of conservative movements and speeches as right. Where did they start and where have they ended? Think about it. How did it happen in a lifetime? Ultimately, true believers will become the most endangered species in the world. Listen to Jesus in John 16 verses 1 to 3. Because we have to tackle with ideas. Otherwise, we take these ideas, it's in our head and we don't realize pastor's name is Rehoboam. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Okay, Jesus spoke to the men after Judas left. Then began the real, if you want to call it, indoctrination. Teaching them the truth. All these things are going to happen. Don't stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God. That's what will happen to the Christians. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. They will do this to you. They will do this to you. And they will think they are doing God a service. No? Think about it. No? Because we have to look at ideologies. Because this is all where it is coming in. Like I said, you could be a comfortable Christian sitting in the church for years and actually be a socialist or a Marxist in your thinking. Hmm? Marxism, socialism, radical Islam, you know, these are, and globalism. They are all the same in the fact that they will not allow true free speech. That's will Twitter will take you out. They're all globalists. They're all globalists. Socialists and Marxists will not allow free speech in their societies. China believes what the Communist Party says. They will not allow free speech. Okay? The Nazi, they talk, call everybody a fascist, but fascists are the fascists. You know, this is what they used to do in Hitler's youth movement, the brown shirts and Mussolini and all. In classrooms and all, anything that they don't like, they will shout you down. That's what you see. They shout you down. They will not allow you to speak. They shout you down. The movements are the same. Nothing has changed. 
then always remember these people are always not the majority they are always a small group of people there were only 850 prophets of baal there were tens and thousands of children of israel the problem is they were compromised when a majority of the population is compromised the devil needs only a core group to take over that is the way all these revolutions took place everywhere the majority of the people were compromised it's very funny that people are not able to see it do you know radical feminism will not condemn radical islam when radical islam under radical islam women have suffered the most so ilhan umar will come with that scarf and said that she is a radical feminist and a radical islamist she will never speak a word against radical islam and people get deceived by the picture and they will they will abuse you they will label you using language language is supposed to be the vehicle of truth and it hands in the hands of devil uses the same language and makes it the vehicle of lies deceptions and then programs your thinking through lies and deception then you start seeing it through that prism without realizing you are right in the middle of the church faithful to the church but actually very worldly in your thinking the world is a set of ideologies so 850 people um, prophets of baal but tens and thousands of israels of no use you know why all are compromised but to stop the slide it takes only one man god doesn't need two people only one man that's where we need to understand the power of ideas the kingdom of god is based on truth and truth is so powerful like india's freedom movement it took only one man only one man and it is not nehru was a socialist it was not patel it was gandhi because gandhi received an idea which was true civil disobedience without violence it was straight from the preaching of jesus christ and it was powerful and that idea framed the whole movement so there were other leaders but indian freedom movement will be always associated to mahatma gandhi because of an idea he received not any of the other ideas just one idea changed the whole movement because it was from the kingdom of god so it took only one elijah to stop the slide okay on the other side the devil also has one man or two men is enough to take over a world karl marx was just one man frederick angels was just one man you know i'll tell you something about marx which people do not know most people do not know he was from germany he was a jewish guy from germany and he had to flee germany found asylum in london in england he lived there for most of his life or almost all his life so he was basically a stateless fellow that's why in his ideas ultimately he will make everybody stateless okay england did not receive his ideas far away russia did he lived in england wrote in england published in england but england did not receive his ideas his ideas were received far away in other countries you know why his ideas which is the most powerful idea ever preached by the devil after the first lie in the garden which has taken over and killed more people than all the world was put together why england did not receive 
those ideas because there was a man at the simultaneously at the same time behind the pulpit who publicly rebuked his ideas and his name was Spurgeon. One man stopped Marxism gripping the minds of the British population. Now think if Spurgeon wasn't there and Marxism had taken over the British mind in the 18th century when Britain empire stretched from ocean to ocean, communism would have taken over the world 100 years earlier. We would have been living under the Antichrist now. One man stopped the tide. That's why when they say the pulpit is not a political place, the kingdom of Satan is politics. It is about politics. It's about ideas. And ideas has to be confronted with an idea which is powerful. And truth is the greatest, most powerful idea God has ever given. And people don't even realize these things. Realize these things. How they believe stuff. How they believe stuff. And that's where the world has come to a standstill now. It's not a virus. It's not a virus. It's got to do with number third. So we have to be alert about it. It's got to do with number third. What's our duty bound? We are duty bound to pray for number third. Which way it will go, we do not know. It's got nothing to do with the virus. Don't fool me. I'm not fooled by it. If somebody should be dying of the virus, old age people, be careful, 65 and above India, what are you told to stay inside and not come out? How old is President Trump? 75. How many thousands does he meet every week? He doesn't even have a sniffle. That's why he doesn't wear a mask. He wears only when he's compelled to wear. Standing and telling God is using a man who is not even a true on fire Christian or anything to tell us. First they will give you the mask of the beast. This is a trial run. Before you will receive the mark of the beast. This is a trial run. Everybody, fear has dominated the entire world. Fear over a virus, which even you can't see properly in the electron microscope, and they're trying to sell it to you, the mask will stop it. So the idea was not about the mask. The idea is to bring a servile population through fear. And the images were played out. Police brutality all over the world. And fear-mongering, it's dying, 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 dying. How many died? How many died? Shutting down the entire world economy. Cops knocking on doors in Melbourne, in Victoria State to see if people have stepped out of their house or not. Drones watching on, over a virus? You really mean to tell me this has got to do with a virus? This casualty rate is not greater than any one of the previous flus. It's got nothing to do with it. You know what? They're preparing the ground. They're preparing the ground. It's a test run around the entire world. This is a test run. It's a test run for the world, one world order that is coming. They're testing it. Satan and his forces have to take over. There is only one nation that stands in their way. It is not India. It is not China. It is not Britain. It is not Russia. It is the USA. So they have to bring USA down. Antichrist can rise only out of anarchy. 
anarchy is the only thing that will make the world prepare to receive the man of peace. The goal of anarchies is chaos. You understand how it's working? And USA is God's firewall against anarchy. If there is no anarchy in this world for the past 50, 60 years after the second world, it's because of one nation and one nation alone. That's it's a firewall against anarchy. And now you have seen anarchy on the streets of US. Radical Islam works out of chaos, out of anarchy. Thrives on it, creating fear and anarchy. And socialism, communism, thrives by first creating chaos and anarchy. Globalism funds anarchy. Haven't you seen it? All the small businesses, people who put all their savings, they have burnt and looted. Apple and these big stores, they are not bothered. Because they know insurance will cover it. And what are they doing? They are sending funding into BLM. Because they are all together. The globalist, the socialist, and the radical Islamists, they are all together with one agenda. In scripture terms, he used it called convergence. When three of these things converge, the globalist, the socialist, and the hidden radical Islamists converge together, you get one person. That person was the president of America 10 years ago called Obama. He was a socialist, a radical Islamist, and he was the globalist. They had their man. Trump was an accident, and nobody ever thought he would come in. They were preparing for the woman to ride the beast. Everything was said, even the gowns were stitched. And the hall was booked, a hall with a glass ceiling. And then he won. And God gave us time. Like I said yesterday, that is a foot at the door. The door of mercy was about to bang. God in his mercy gave us Trump. Stopped. That's why they hate him. The radical Islamists hate him. The globalists hate him. The socialists hate him. The feminists hate him. Everybody hates him. But if you're really asking, why do you hate him? What is the reason behind your hate? Oh, some text, come on. It can't be a text. Other guys, Hollywood guys are calling him filthy names every day in and day out. Men, women, everybody is calling him names. You're not upset by it. You're upset by some tweet of his. So it's not that. It's something diabolic. Because he stopped your plans to take over this world and bring your master into power. It's generally for a season. He's only there for a season. And the church doesn't know it. And half the church is praying against him. He's not a pastor or a moral giant or anything. He's just God's shoe in the way to give us mercy. A man who is not probably really saved. A man who is not filled with the Holy Spirit. Where does he get his energy from? Where does he get his determination from? And doesn't give up. When he has nothing to gain. People are not even waking up and smelling the coffee. People are being deluded before their eyes. It's called convergence. Do we get four more years or not? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
don't get fooled. The whole West Coast is burning. And the West Coast that is burning are blue states. This is because of their radical climate change agenda. Why didn't you practice in your own states? How come it didn't work? Yesterday Pelosi had a G8 summit and you were talking about climate change. Climate change should be one of, if Biden wins, it will be one of our priorities. And using climate change, dealing with climate change, we can deal with G8 summit declaration. One of the declarations. Systemic inequalities in the societies can be addressed with climate change. Where do they get these words from? They think people are just dum-dums. And they are dum-dums. Like I said, we don't know what we are fighting for. We are fighting literally for the right to worship. One poor 81-year-old John MacArthur is standing alone. I don't know what's happening. You need to pray. Uphold him in prayer. Right to worship in a land that was founded for the right to worship. The liberty to speak freely. The right for the unborn to live. Think about it. I told you in Washington what happened last week, right? BLM guys go paint. Black lives matter. Permission, police all standing with permission. Another place, same city, they write, unborn black lives matter. They are arrested and taken. Why unborn lives don't matter? Black lives don't matter? Think about it. When are people going to wake up? Christians, you are talking about Christians. Like I said yesterday, at least 20 million Christians did not even register to vote last time. And they know it. If Christians, their eyes are open and they come out to vote, they will lose. It will never be blue again. But they have compromised the entire Christian population using these feel-good churches. So Joel Austin will march with the anarchists for peace in Houston. And these are the ones who are portrayed as God's men, right? Though they serve Baphomet in the behind. Compromised. All these big guys. The church doesn't even know. Even Indian Christians do not know. The so-called Indian Christians. You ask any Christian in the US, who will you vote? Do you know what is at stake? Your worship? Your freedom to speech? Your unborn child? And your born child? Because the entire education system is being radicalized. Where drag queens will come into primary schools and read stories to children about gay and homosexual and transgender lifestyle. The bills are being introduced in blue states where your 7 year old, 8 year old child can be given medicine to delay their puberty before they identify their gender. Parents do not even know their children's life are at stake and you are still voting for that party. Well, last week a bill was introduced in the California Assembly where this is a bill saying um, if the age gap between uh, the sex between a guy and a minor is less than 10 years, yeah, less than 10 years, then the penalty should be lowered. Meaning if an 18-year-old guy molests uh, an 8-year-old boy, he shouldn't be penalized. Why? Because it, that law is weighed against the 
LGBTQ crowd. So you are acknowledging you are the guys who molest the boys and the little girls, right? Do people even know what they are voting for, a party that sanctions all this? And if our righteous anger is not ignited, what kind of Christians are we? Not even India will do that. The Hindu nation will not do that. Even communist China doesn't have a law like that. And you ask an Indian Christian in the U.S., an Indian Christian, a church-going Indian Christian in the U.S., who will you vote for? Hey, you know, no, we have to vote Democrats because migration. Mama, Papa, Chacha, Mommy, everybody has to be brought. Trump may stop it. So migration is more, immigration is more important to you than life and worship. How people are so compromised. They are so blinded. They are not able to see. Four years later, you may not even have a country to migrate to. You wouldn't want to migrate there. Four years, eight years down the line. This is what compromise does. This is what worship under Rehobab and Jeroboam prepares you for. What? For the Babylonian captivity. Prepares the way for the Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar will march in with his armies. And God will hand them over. You know where it started? With compromise. Ended up with captivity. And a remnant will come out. So people do not even know what they are thinking. And the church in India has the right, like I said. We are not an organization. We are an organism. Meaning the church is one. So when the church in America is going through deception, and the church in China is going through suffering, we are duty bound to stand in the gap and intercede for them and for them. We are duty bound. And speak against the oppressors. We are duty bound to stand in the gap and pray. Lord, my brother is suffering over there, persecuted like no man's business, being crushed in North Korea and in Iran and being deceived in the West. We are duty-bound to speak it out because in the time of evil, silence is not accepted by God. Not accepted by God. And we have to get active in our prayer closet. And those of us who have been called to preach, we will not be silent. We will not be silenced. We will not be silenced. See, India, U.S. is standing there at a, what you call the most pivotal moment in his, in its history. And this entire game that is going around the world is connected with number third. Number third. Number third. And they will try every trick in the book to either steal the election or to create doubt about the election. That is what the whole mail-in battle uh, vote thing is about. So we cannot stop these things, but we know God can. God can. We have to pray with understanding. Lord, let every one of their ideas, plans, diabolical plans be exposed. We are not praying for Trump. He's your man at this point. We are praying for four more years. That's all we are praying. Hand of mercy, Lord. For the church is not prepared anywhere to handle what is going through. Church is not ready. But we have to believe. You look through the scriptures and all, we have to believe. There is hope. There is hope in Ezekiel 37 and verse 11. He said, 
to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we ourselves are cut off. The state of the church, the actual church in the free world, the whole house of Israel, spiritual Israel. Bones are dry, our hope is lost. When hope is lost, it is gone. And what is God's answer? Prophesy. Prophesy. Can these dry bones live? It says, you know, Lord. I am not. We look at the state of America. Can these dry bones live? Look at Britain. Look, can these bones live? No. I don't know, Lord. You, only you know. Everybody's eschatology, everything has gone out of the window. Nobody knows. The God's answer is, you prophesy. You speak over dry bones. Okay. What happened on Mount Carmel? Okay. What happened on Mount Carmel? Was a supernatural, sovereign act of God. And what Elijah did with that, we will close. What Elijah did, no man before him or no man after him ever did. First Kings chapter 18, verse 32 onwards. Then with the stones he built an altar that every man in history did in the name of the Lord. And then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seers of seed. And then, right, he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water. Pour it on the burnt offering, sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Only one thing he did, which is different from everybody before him and after him. He dug a trench and he said, bring water and pour it three times. The church has to get into the prayer altar and wet the altar with tears. That's the only cry God will hear. Unless we are desperate enough, God says, I don't see any necessity to stay in my hand. I don't see any necessity. I don't see any necessity to stay the hand from destruction. They are not worried and you are not moved. Why should I stay in my hand? I got my people inside anyway. Why should I be moved? Why should I move for, for US or the Western world? Why should I be moved? And they are not moved and you are not moved. Nothing short of this will help. This is one thing Elijah alone did at an altar which no man before him did or no man after him did. He dug a trench and he poured water. God is asking, how deep is your repentance? Before you cry out, Lord, save America's church from worldliness, are you separated from the world? You offered yourself as a living sacrifice on the altar, right? You have heard it and said it so many times. But is there a division of water of word between you and the world? Have you dug such a deep division between you and the world that you will never cross over? Is it there in your life first before you cry for somebody else? Or you are just as worldly inside as them? Do you love the same things they love? Do you like the same things they like? Is there a difference between them and you? That's what Elijah did. There's one thing he did that was different. And he made the people do it. Dug a trench. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. 
the time it hasn't rained for three and a half years. Not a drop from heaven, not a drop of dew on earth. Most valuable thing in Israel is water. God says, you want my fire? You will have to give over to me what you value most in your life. Pour it and pour it and pour it until it fills the trench. You need to bring it. What is that you value? What is that you have held back? What is that you have hidden? Everybody must have hidden a pot of water in their house. Everybody had to bring it. Bring water. Bring water. Bring water. That's what God is asking. Nothing less will do. Nothing less will do. We have to bear our hearts and destroy our own idols first. And only Holy Spirit can show us the idols in our heart. Where we are connected, attached to the world. The things we have hidden, things we are unwilling to let go. Nothing less will do. And because Elijah did it, and the people obeyed him, God will have his Elisha. The result of what happened on Mount Carmel is not the rain. The spiritual result of what happened on Mount Carmel is birthed an Elisha. If God extends mercy on U.S., the world will see the greatest revival the world has ever seen. And it is not going to come from those puffed up pastors or those casual people. It is going to come from the same set of angry young people who have zeal with no wisdom. God will pour out the spirit upon them. The drag addicts, the prostitutes who are coming out. He will raise a set of people, these university kids who are all messed up. He will the drug, he will pour his spirit upon them. And you know what they will do? They will do what Saul of Tarsus did. He just stained his zeal towards, against Jesus, for Jesus. And there was not a man like him. By the time he finished, all of Asia and most of Europe had heard the gospel. God needed only one man. One man. One man. He didn't need even two people. One man. One man. And I'm telling you, that's where there is hope. If you look at Wildis Valley, Bones live? All I can say, Lord, we will prophesy and let your breath come upon it. Let your Holy Spirit fall upon these nations. And God will have an army like he has never. There will be one final unbelievable swoop of the Holy Spirit. That is what I believe. And then God will take his church and the end will come. The end will come. Therefore, deep inside there is still hope he will win. I don't worry about the polls. I don't worry about anything they are saying. All I have to do is go into the prayer closet and pray. And every time get an opportunity and the subject is appropriate. Lord, let your people's eyes be open. Let them know what a DNC dispensation would be. They See, they don't hate, like I said, they don't hate Trump. They don't hate Trump. Honestly, they don't Trump. They don't hate Trump. They hate Christians and they hate Christ. He's in the way. They don't really hate him. He's from New York. They're all from New York. they all taken his money for his campaigns. They all attended his party. They don't really hate him. They hate Christ. They hate Christians. 
Only he happens to be in the way. You know what half of the church is praying? Lord, take him out of the way. Sometimes God uses people like Jehu. Jehu was a bulldog. Like Trump. He was not a smooth spoken person. No smooth spoken believer would have lasted the last three and a half years. You needed a bulldog. You hit him once, he'll give you two back. You are not nice and kind with Satan. You trample upon him and walk all over him. Because what you are facing is not politics. This is not politics. In politics also there is some kind of decency. This is a diabolic and demonic. You should look at it. It's demonic what is happening. Because the enemy is giving his push to take over. And the church somewhere is praying, say, Lord, give us time. And we need to be part of that church. And not get fooled. For the sake of the unborn. For the sake of the born. For the sake of liberty to worship. Liberty to preach. Liberty to speak. Because that's the only nation that has power to speak into the lives of others. He can make one call to a leader of a nation and says, cool down. Calm down. Calm down. Right? Calm down. Look at the, 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 the deception. Right? Israel makes peace with UAE. Israel makes peace with Bahrain. Kosovo and Serbia come onto the table and make peace. These are wars over which Europe fought over and thousands and thousands were killed. And the news media doesn't even report it. Honestly, did not even report it. These are the greatest political moves that has happened in the history of the world for the past 25-30 years in the Middle East. Have you noticed in the entire Middle East, radical Islam has been silenced? And the Palestinians are shaking in their boots? One man. One man did it. Without, without having any of his soldiers being killed. And a nation doesn't even know. We appreciate it. The nation doesn't even know. Their own nation doesn't even recognize it. Think. Just think. This is what we call the deception of language. This is how blindness takes place. You know, Think five years ago. ISIS was bigger than Iraq and Syria. Half of it was there. Where is ISIS today? It's just gone. It's just gone. How many people they slaughtered, executed publicly, all Christians, right? And the guy who was supposedly Christian and gave such big lectures and all, all in the Arab states, going and bowing and apologizing for America from the University of Cairo onwards, everywhere he went. What did he do? Nothing. What did this man do? Over. He said, finish them off. They finished them off. Do you know that in the entire ISIS operation, US lost no soldier? Do people see it is good for us that our brothers were being killed in Syria, our brothers were being killed in Iraq, our brothers were being beheaded. Did the church ever see? The church is an organism or is an organization? Does the church see that when they hurt, we are supposed to hurt? When their wives are made into widows, we should grieve? When man destroyed that violent people, the church doesn't even see. They are praying against it. The issue is not with the world, the issue is with the church. 
issues with the church. That's what I said. The church is not an organization. And if you belong to an organization, you are not saved. That's the first truth Saul of Tarsus learned on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why do you persecute my church? Why do you persecute me? This is not an organization. This is an organism. You touch one, it hurts me. I feel the pain of every one of my children. This is a family. This is a living body. Saul, Saul. That broke him. Three days he sat in darkness thinking, I hurt the God I was zealously serving all this year. I hurt him all these years. And we don't feel the pain. We don't feel the pain. Our prayer life is not changing. Our word life is not changing. We are still waiting for the pandemic to be over to return back to normalcy. A Christian after this should never be normal again. Should have been framed in his closet, prayer closet, and in his altar in the six months or seven months or eight months. Should have been changed to never be the same again. The world will go back to its old ways. We can never go back. Because God in his mercy stopped literally time for us. What he did with Joshua was for one day. What he has done with us is more than six months. He stopped time. Shut everybody in your homes and says, come back to me. Come back to me. Learn of me. Understand the end is here. You have very little time left. When my hand is lifted, the devil will come with all his wrath and rage down onto earth. So I'm giving you time to prepare. And what are we do? Playing games. God says, no more, my children, no more. Come back, come back, come back. And everything that is happening, we have to be able to read it in our spirit. So pray, pray for the church in the U.S. Lord, open their eyes. They would come out of their complacency. Whatever race, whatever color, whatever tribe, whichever nation they immigrated from, the cause is the same. It's the cause of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. The cause is that. That overrules every other issue in our life. The kingdom of God is so close. And multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And they don't know their left from their right. Those of us who are able to see, God says, stand in the gap and pray for them. Pray for them. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you. We pray, Lord. We pray. We pray for U.S., the most powerful nation in the world. A nation that can change the direction of any other nation. They have the power. They have the resources. They have the political clout. And that nation's destiny is at stake now. Less than two months it will be decided. And the only set of people who have the change, who have the power to move the hand of God is the believing church. And we come to you and we plead, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy on U.S. Lord. Have mercy on U.S. Have mercy on the churches around the world, O oh Lord, that they will get out of the pettiness and the simple, simple bodily, physical, material needs when none of these things matter in the kingdom of God. They will look like Joseph unto you and says, is not there a cause, a cause that is bigger than us, bigger than our homes, bigger than our families. Because the kingdom of God is so near. And the hoofbeats of the horsemen are there in the distance. 
Once they are released, then there is no more hope. Then everyone that is meant to go into captivity will go into captivity, says the word of the Lord. Everybody who will die of the sword will die of the Lord, of the sword. Now there is still time. And we pray, Lord, we pray, have mercy. Let every diabolical plan of the enemy be exposed. And his high priest and high priestess, whatever they are called, grand dame and grand masters, all be exposed. You know them. You know them where they meet and what they do to destroy your people, the inheritance of God. You endured the shame of the cross because you saw us. Your inheritance, O Lord, is being destroyed through deception and smoothing, flattering words, both from politicians and from false shepherds and prophets. Open the eyes of your people and destroy the powers of darkness and their servants on earth. Every one of them be exposed. Politicians who have joined hand with hand with the devil in secret places. Made blood oaths and covenants. Pastors who have made blood covenants and oaths with powers of darkness. Let them be exposed. Let them repent or be exposed and be removed. So your people. Because on Mount Carmel what was exposed were the prophets of Baal. They were exposed and they were decimated by you. Elijah was just an instrument. We pray, Lord, we pray, we pray that churches will awake and get their vision. This is life and death battle. We cannot afford to lose now. We cannot afford to lose now. So we stand in the gap, Lord. I pray for an awakening in the churches in India. They will wake up. Because if that nation falls, And there is nothing to stop this nation from destroying your inheritance here. There will be nobody to speak for us. So we pray for him, President Trump. We pray for Pastor MacArthur, 81 years old. A 75 year old man and an 81 year old man. In these last days you found two figures. A political figure and a spiritual figure. 175, 181. We pray for them both. That they will stand and they will not grow weary. They will stand. And others will stand up and say, we stand with you. We join with you. We will stand with you. You are not alone. We cannot vote in your election. But we can definitely cry out to God. We can cry out. We will join the voices of all the millions around the world who are crying out. We will join our voices too. Because there is something more powerful than a vote. That is the prayer of a saint. The fervent, righteous prayer of Elijah. Move the heart, the mind and the hand of God. That is more powerful than any vote can, can be cast. Yes, we cannot vote, but we can pray and we can proclaim and we will do both. We will do both. We will stand in the gap and we will cry out.
For we know we are crying out for our own sake, for our families, for our children, for our grandchildren. All their histories and destinies are connected with this. And this virus is not a virus, it is demonic. So we bind the powers behind this virus. We command it to be moved out of the way and be exposed. All the people behind this lie be exposed. We will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. You will have a generation like no generation before. Our Elisha generation will strand, begin in strength and power and not end in fear like Elijah. But stand in boldness and fear neither Ahab nor Jezebel. The spirits that are ruling the world now, the weak masculine spirit and their diabolic feminist spirit, will face them. We will face them fearless. We will cast them to the ground. The dogs shall lick their blood. There will be nothing left to bury of them by the time you are done with them. That's how fierce your judgment will be on the world. We'll stand shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand with all your saints in all this country. Because the saints have seen, they have seen around the world, the saints have seen. This election is like no other election. This is different. And we will stand with them and have mercy, mercy, mercy on this land, Lord. And have mercy on our land, Lord. Give us time. Give us time. We are pleading for time. We are pleading for time. We are pleading for time. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify. We lift up holy hands in your sanctuary. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and Amen.